Jeff Ogilvie survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Barry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Leash been to 11 under. And we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott, a life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app, or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes episode number 76. It's impressive, isn't it? Lovely to be here again. Uh, our second last show for 2018. Uh, joyfully joined by Mark Hayes, as we always are. Hello, Hazy. G'day, Murray. Great to be with you. Big week, uh, some good and some infuriating, and we'll get to all of that with a man who will just keep us peaceful and calm because he's very zen, <laughs> and we might need that on a show like that today. Of course, I'm talking about Brian McPherson, who joins us in the studio as a co-panelist for the first time. Great man. Thanks, fellas. I've been here, you know, via phone, and it's just nice to get the full experience, the sights, the sounds, the smells, all that stuff. Oh, I hope there's not too many smells, mate. <laughs> well, not yet. We are going to be in here for an hour and a half. So. Uh, you'd be part of, you are part of the show, so it's nice to have you actually here. Oh, well, in that's the great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, it is, it, to be fair, like, and we'll talk to you more about your own game and life later on, but you've given us some great insights into other things too, I would say, mm. over your journey with us. It's been awesome, so thank you very much. Oh, no. Well, I mean, you, you, know, you get to experience things, and it's nice to share them. Going to be joined by Jake McLeod a bit later on. Uh, in fact, Brighton and I pre-recorded that interview, Hazy, so we'll roll that in uh, in the middle part of the show. Are, are you good at? Are you good at Brighton? I'm talking about not you, Hazy. Are you good at just maintaining your own pace? When you are you are you a good one for not looking at what other people are doing around you and just making sure that you stay comfortable, content, as much as you'd like to be, you know, maybe doing other things sooner Absolutely. rather than later. But are you good at just? holding it all in well you know i think it's everyone has trouble everyone has trouble with it like it's mm. a, it's something that everyone struggles with and it's something that um is one of the biggest challenges to overcome as a professional golfer and i think the fact that you see guys fall off from the top bar a few shows that it's a constant challenge mm. so it's something that because that's always a big factor when someone goes and plays really well and does really well for a long time then they fall off the map. It's usually because they've got wrapped up in what's going on off the golf course. So, uh, and I think Tiger showed us this that no one is immune to that. So, um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for a professional golfer, just mm. from the start all the way through. Mm. And uh, I'm not that good at managing it, um, but it's something that I'm working on for sure. Um, one of the bright young lights of Australian golf continued to just turn the ampage up or the wattage or whatever you call it up at Royal Pines on the weekend. You couldn't. You, you could have asked for more in that. You could have asked for more players, maybe to be in contention come the Sunday. But you could have asked for a whole lot more that you get Smith and Leishman sort of locking horns on the last day, and then you get that three shot differential that was existing when they teed it up, sort of evaporating before our very eyes. And then you then you get to see, okay, what's this kid made of? He's got one of the really established frontline Australian world mm. pros sort of taking advantage, taking control of this tournament right now. What did you make of what Cam Smith did on the last nine holes? I loved it. 
Absolutely loved it, and I, sh- I think it showed a lot of bottle. Uh, I think it, to what you said initially there, it sort of franks the selection of the World Cup team. Mm. Not that it's a selection, but it does show that at their best, they're just that you know slight, slight margin above the Australia, Australasian PGA Tour players. Which is no, no slide on them. It's just a you know a statement of where they are in the world mm. rankings. But to your direct point, I love seeing Cam Smith challenged because he's he was on cruise control for a long time. But you see, when Leishman went past him when he chipped in on the fourth, turned in four under uh, the big Victorian, that Smith was under the pump. Could have gone two different ways very quickly, very readily. Mm-hmm. I thought it showed a lot of character that he not only steadied himself but then accelerated away at the end. Very mm. impressive. Yeah, I mean he's a good player. I mean, like Hazy <laughs> said, like you know they're both. I mean they're on the they're on the main tour in the states, so it makes sense that they would separate themselves at mm. an event like the Aussie PGA, which doesn't quite have the depth of um, mm. even some of the other European tour events. But I think it's no surprise that the cream rose to the top there. And uh, I think we can give uh, Jake McLeod a pass for having a bad 36 holes on the weekend for the situation he was in, and you know where he's that. In fact, he's never been there before. That, uh, but I think the fact that Cam had been there before, you know, he was able to build on that experience. And uh, Leash is Leash is a scary guy to go up against because he's an intimidating player. So the way he hits it, the power that he's got, and um, just even his stature and how big he is is does, like. Does that play a part in the way it rounds? Yeah, absolutely. Fold? I mean, it's definitely uh, you know like what you were saying, Mari, about focusing on yourself. Mm. I mean, when you're going up against someone who is you know one of the better, more impressive ball strikers in the world, and you have to stand there and watch him hit before you on a tee, and then follow it in <laughs> front of all these people when maybe you are not a top ten in the world quality ball striker, impressive ball striker then that definitely plays on it. So that's a, another level of challenge that Cam was over to, able to overcome. And I think it's really interesting to see not only Jake McLeod, but also Matt Miller and Dimi Papadados, who have been pretty much the standout players on the Australasian tour for the last uh, definitely year, and in, in Matt and Dimi's case a little longer as well, also be when there when the whips are cracking, basically. Um, big tournaments find out big players Mm. you don't Mm. often see someone who is a complete bolter win a big scale event a tier one event in australia or a major or anything like that it's a really rare occasion so Mm. and if it does happen it doesn't happen often so you know the the data is definitely in favor of the cream to the top there there is something um I don't know, but I'm sure that everybody who watches a game of golf would um, enjoy this as an as a as an element of the game. But when you know you've got somebody who's got a great short game, you know we 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 marvel at the great short games. You know, for in my lifetime, what you know, Ballesteros was kind of able to do under pressure um, from seemingly near impossible positions was mesmerising. You know, and from from then on, there's been a player of a generation or a couple of players in each sort of generation who have got this incredible control of their short game. I know we've lauded Cam Smith's short game, but there's something when you can control it and execute under pressure. Now, he'll be under greater pressure than he was um, at Royal Pines in his career, but there were two or three shots on the back nine that he played exquisitely. And and in the head-to-head battle, that was a moment for him. There was a lot of pressure in that moment to, to... beat a world-class player like Leishman on television, on in front of hundreds of thousands of people watching. There's something awesome about a player who can control that aspect of their game under that sort of heat. 
Mm, absolutely. I mean, Cam's always had a good short game. Like that's his, that's his thing. You know, the reason yeah. why he's successful now is because he doesn't hit it the way he used to. He has control over his ball and he hits it a decent length. So the rest of his game is able to make him birdies instead of just saving pars. So that's why he's doing what he's doing. And I think they were really. It was instructive, Andy, as you as you sort of inferred that those shots were the ones that ultimately crippled Leishman's chances. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So I think the, a couple that really caught my eye, and they weren't specifically uh, intricate shots, I suppose you'd say, but the, the the variation that he has with his wedges. So I think it was the 12th, I can't remember the par 5, is it the 12th or the 13th? He played a, a driver off the deck to get pin high yes. and had the pin was on the back right. And he sort of bumped and ran it across the green. Incredible touch. Then... Two or three holes later on the 15th, when his second went wide onto the 16th tee and he got a couple of drops to have a shot, he played a big flop shot and checked. And and the way he um, used the contours and and his knowledge of the grain, etc., to his advantage there and and didn't rely like choppers like me would on one specific shot. It doesn't necessarily fit all all cases. Mm -hmm. The way he did that was like, world-class to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. He's got a world-class player with a world-class short game. And just he, one of the, and further to that, he's from his full wedges, when when players are on song, their ability to leave it on the right side of the hole, mm-hmm. there was one, again, there was one hole, par four, I reckon it was, where they were coming in from about exactly the same yardage. And I think they might have both, miss, both missed their birdie putts. But, Leishman knocked his about the same distance past the hole as Smith was underneath the hole. And Smith had the eminently more makeable putt in the end. I think they both missed, so it's sort of by the by. But in terms of giving yourself the better opportunity to make a birdie, mm. that when players are controlling their, their distance, when they've got their distance control so um, down pat, in control and just dialed in... Um, that, that's that's a great thing to watch as well. When we saw it, I, I'd be interested in your take on this, Bryden. When we saw it at the World Cup, it was on the 16th, the dogleg par four uh, at Metropolitan, when Australia was really charging at Belgium, and ultimately Leishman missed the birdie putt that this shot oh, that I'm about to talk yeah. about presented. Yeah. But Smith actually walked up. Uh, uh, let's say it was 85 metres. doesn't matter what it was. He actually walked up, measured it off, paced it out, and, and I had a clear picture in his head of what that shot was going to be. And it was inch perfect. perfect. Mm-hmm. perfect. It, it didn't go in the hole, but it bounced twice, checked, spun back onto the night side of the hole. It was like exactly as you draw it up as a commercial pro, mm-hmm. but in the heat of the battle, the mm. heat of a World Cup battle. Mm-hmm. How how good is that to you, someone who has actually got the skills as opposed to any <laughs> night to actually pull that stuff off? I mean, yeah, it's... Um, it's and, a, and more so, before you answer, yeah, yeah. more so, what is it like to do that on the six, on the seventieth hole of a World Cup, as opposed to you know mucking around with your mates for three dollars. Well, I can't actually speak to doing it on the seventieth hole of a World Cup, <laughs> but um, I can speak to doing it in big events yeah. and stuff like that, which is is um, the reason that you play professional golf. Like it's when uh, when you're younger, getting into the game, or even if you're just picking up the game for the first few few weeks, the one shot that you hit that is just perfect or just pure. And then you spent the next next eight months trying to recreate it, um, which is what you got addicted to the game. That is the next level of addiction as a pro is when you're able to execute a shot under pressure that means something. That is another level of ecstasy that you get. Like it's another level of addiction that you go, I want that again. Um, and, And so that's what the pros that 
make it embrace that and they love that and um the pros that maybe don't are the ones that let their anxiety get in the way of whether or not they will or won't pull off that shot the guys that are just like i don't care if i don't pull it off because it's so good when i do Mm. and uh it's no surprise that cam was able to pull off a shot like that because he's great with his wedges um you know and the fact that he walked up to the green and came back that's kind of consistent with all the good wedge players that i've spoken to and heard about like phrase marcus fraser is you know pretty much as good as it gets ian baker finch as well uh um Jimenez as well, like those three guys. Those three guys, you know, are about as good as it gets. Tom Kite, but I never met Tom Kite. Um, so they all work backwards from the hole, so they'll go up and figure out what the ball needs to do when it hits the ground around a pitch shot uh, and then work out from there whether it needs to come in low or high or medium or whether it's a good yardage or a bad yardage. And then kind of from there, um, when you practice enough and when you figure it out, uh, you just kind of stand there and say yeah, this is the shot that I see and, this, and I know how to hit this. It feels mm. like that. And hopefully when, you let that, when you're thinking and saying it feels like that is when you're hitting the ball. So, and then you see it and, and, and then, then it's amazing. <laughs> that really flattens anybody who's just happy to find the dance floor, Hazy. Like, yeah. From 120, it's, anyone on the green is going to be okay for me. Like, you know. this is, uh, sorry, this is a bit head wobbly, but when I had the chance to play Augusta and I had the, uh, the caddy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were playing the third hole, the short par four, and I had 92 yards. He said, you've got to land this 92 yards. Where was the pin? Uh, the the pin was Sunday position. On the left? left? Yeah, yeah nice. Like That's middle, a good one. Only spot left. Yeah. Uh, and he said, you can't play at that pin. You've got no chance. You've got to hit it up to the right. 20 you've feet right. You've got to bounce it 92 yards where you've got to land it. And I said, oh, that's... that's you may as well not have said that to me, mate. I got, I got something that'll get it somewhere between 85 and 100, but yeah. we'll just take our chances. <laughs> anyway, so I hit it, and I hit it beautifully, and I thought, oh, that's really good for me. That's fantastic. And he goes, that's going to want to sit down. And he said, that's landed at 95. And it was over the back. Yeah. Dead. Completely dead. And he said, you've landed that three yards too far, which is sort of what you're getting at, Brian. Yeah. It's like the, the minutiae of those shots sort of... Uh, is lost on so many amateur and or of hacker, course, hacker of players. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. If I hit something that landed three yards past my actual target, I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's uh-huh. mint. That's yeah. as good as it gets. And yeah. he's just going, you're an idiot. You're gone. You're dead. <laughs> Way too far. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Any other takeaways from the PGA or any sort of final words on the Australian kind of summer before we get extend our uh, focus and glare elsewhere? Well, I, I, I was glad to see. I mean, I, I'm sorry he didn't win for his own sake, but I was glad to see Mark Leishman contend. That was great. Mm. Uh, it's always good to see people who we want to come home and contend in tournaments come home and do just that. Mm. So, we, you know, um, wasn't the case for, for Jeff Ogilvy in this instance. Um, Curtis Luck didn't get his chance, played an erratic couple of holes for him on the late on Friday, unfortunately. Um, we do like to see that happen. And while we've just gleaned, uh, spoken joyfully about Cameron Smith at Big shout to Mark Leishman. He's, mm. he's streeted 154 other blokes. Mm, mm. So, good. It were, is it a word on Matt Miller? I know we've sort of t- but this guy's a remarkable player. He, he yeah. doesn't look like he should be able to compete. Uh, with all due respect, got this funky little swing, this funky little takeaway with his putter. He seems to stall as if he's frozen with fear on his backswing, and and yet he manages to just keep finding fairways and greens and stays in contention. He he. He kind of defies, you know, what we think is required of a modern-day player. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly right. But I think the key there is modern-day player. I mean, he is he is a quintessential old-school player. 
And I think it's good to see that that is still relevant to a point. Yeah. And I played a practice round with him at second stage Europe Q school last year, not this year, around El Soler in Spain, which is notoriously the hardest one of the Q schools. And, um, you know, we played a practice round together with uh, Jared Felton as well, three of us, and uh, Aussie stick together. And, you know, I was watching Matty sort of plot his way around, and I was like, oh, man, he might do pretty well around here. you got to hit it pretty straight. And then first round, he shot eight under and was leading by, like, three. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, okay, this is a good golf course for him. Um, but I think that's the key. Like, you'll see a guy like Matt, who's a who's really good um, player. He's really good at what he does, and he stays within himself really well. Hmm. That, you know, he'll, you could almost choose, if he was going to go play events in Europe, which golf courses he'd play well on, hmm. you know. And it would be probably very similar ones to what Fraze did well mm-hmm. on. You know, because they're similar players, um, and Fraze is just, uh, you know, he just done it on a bigger stage. Yeah, but um, yeah. you know, they're similar players. They work, play within themselves really well and know themselves really well, and that's good enough to get you into the top sixty in the world. Yeah. As Fraze proved, I, I love Matty Miller, and he's one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet. Yeah, right absolutely. Him. And, and uh, I think the thing that separates him, in my mind, aside from the, what Bryden just explained, is that he will give his the same level of input into whatever he's doing on a golf course at 7 o'clock on Thursday morning or 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I think you find a lot of pros, and even yourself included, yeah, absolutely. that struggle to do 72 holes at full concentration. I reckon the the difference between... He's never he's never going to win the USPGA Tour money list. He's just not. But he'll always contend on the Australian money list because mm-hmm. he never throws five cents away mm. and he's not doing it necessarily for the money but the concentration allows him to win that money you'll see when other guys have gone ah oh, god i can't win it anymore a bogey will follow and a double bogey three holes later and they're suddenly gone from tied seventh to tied 23rd mm. matt miller is the opposite he'll pick away and he'll kill you with pars and birdies and he's mm. and he banks a check where others have fr- frittered money away and that's why he's exactly where he is on the money list, second behind Jake McLeod. I, I, just a tremendous professional. Absolutely. Well, what's it all about? I mean, you know, you, you prefer, it's your job. That's your job, yeah. Your job's to make money. You know, you want to win things and get accolades and all the rest of it. Well, but at the end of the day, making a very decent living playing golf is uh, what most people would call a hell of an achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you don't yeah. need to be the best in order to be successful. No. Like, there are literally thousands of people that would give their right arm to make $200,000 playing golf every year. <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Hello. Too. Yeah. Tell me. I, I had the good fortune to play with Craig Scott a couple of pro-ams a few years ago. I reckon Craig and Matt would say if they were in this room together that Craig's got 20 times the amount of natural ability in his little finger than Matt Miller has in his entire body. And... Craig would swap with Matt in a heartbeat. Matt, Matt Miller, $100,000 a year or $100,000 a month more, almost. Yeah, you know, he's just yeah. like, he's just made, when was he made in the last four weeks? Like, mm, it's that's just, right. It's just, you know? just a massive difference between someone who can grind away and get it done. And he's become a good player. He's not, he's not a chopper. No. Um, but he's, he's, he's next level in terms of his concentration. Yeah. And the best thing about him from my perspective is if you walk up to him in the middle of that street, Street, even while he's playing, he will say, "Oh, g'day, Bryden, g'day, Hazy, g'day, Andy, how you going?" Mm-hmm. He's just that person. Yeah. When yeah. he gets over the ball, game on. Yep, uh, he's a credit to he's a credit to the craft and the and the uh, profession. I reckon yeah. blokes like him. Um, so that's what happened here. At the same time, um, the Tigers got his invitational tournament taking place in the Bahamas. Now, this is finally 
and I'm thankful to see that there are a couple of members of the American golf riding fraternity who are starting to question elements of this tournament because it's it's by and large gone unquestioned in its kind of the status that it's been allowed to have um, foisted upon it. Finally, there are some questions being asked of this thing by, by people other than um, low-level operatives <laughs> like us. It's it's a joke what's attached to this thing. If they want to go and play their own little invitational tournament for big money while there's more meaningful things going on around the world, so be it. Go on, off you go, have your fun, see you later, fellas. Um, everybody gets paid in the tournament. Um, no one's going to lose. They probably get looked after. You can just imagine the way they get looked after. Yeah. You know, But don't give it 48 world ranking oh. points. Oh. I mean, don't, don't. Henrik Stenson has jumped a couple of places in the top 30. Yeah. And kind of arrested a bit of a a bit of a form slide, a bit certainly a ranking slide, yeah. by virtue of finishing wherever he finished in this thing. It's um, it's a joke. Well, it's self preservation at its best. Hundred percent. You know that's what it is. I mean, our game uh, is naturally very vicious, so there's not really a whole lot of security unless you're at the top. So when you start giving, when you start getting up to the top, uh, and you've earned a bunch of money and you start getting comfortable, you know, you start to look for ways to create opportunities to give you a little bit more job security, hmm. which is the reason why the web finals exist, because instead of giving the guys that finish 126 to 200 one shot at finish top 25 at Q school, they give them four shots at finishing top seven. So the difference between, between finishing seventh and 25th is not that different. In, a, in events, a couple shots... So to give the guys four goes at it gives them more job security. So an event like this, it's really easy for the players to defend and say, well, you've got 30 of the world's top 50 playing in the event. If you beat them, you deserve the world ranking points. But that kind of ignores the... That's a good argument, but it kind of ignores the nature of the game of golf in that in a decent-sized event, the 150th guy in the field can still win the event. So that's kind of a nature of the game that is conveniently cut out of an event like Tiger's event and they keep the good parts. That's so, all well and good if you can get in the field. Absolutely. Rich get richer. Capitalism. It's just how it is. Isn't it nice, yeah. Andy, to have a measured balance? Of course it is. And then, well, but, but there's not... Well, <laughs> yeah. That's true. But, but even uh, in amongst all of the stuff that you hear from 99% of the American golf media and those who hitch their wagon to the PGA Tour and those who control it, I mean, it's a really... Um, it's a control. It's controlled messaging that comes out, by and large, of those who cover. There's that event and the participants on that tour. It's a lot of puffery when it comes to the way events like this are covered. That's why it sort of jumped out at me that a couple of voices did want to kind of dissent a little bit on this one so this D- week. Doug Ferguson. Uh, yeah, there was him. There Bob was Rand- Randall Mel. Yeah. Actually, wrote something about it on Golf Channel on their website uh, and there might have been one other I read somewhere and I f- apologise I can't remember the author of it but I did yeah. notice there, there were three or four American yep. voices who were part of the you know Golf Channel kind of machine um, who were prepared to raise this as an issue this week I, I, I sorry you go Brian no 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 once go I for get, it no once I get going this will be you, need to, you need to vent Hazy no I mean there's no constitution to the PGA Tour so they don't have a First Amendment right to free speech so the guys if they write bad stuff, they won't get invited back. And that's that's the the self preservation thing yeah, that you're talking about. It is, and that's, absolutely, and that's, it's the kind of thing that once it gets some momentum going, it actually starts to get 
very much out of control. Oh, because they see it. benefits, Brighton. Yeah, absolutely. They see, oh, hey, Tiger comes up and chats with me on the range and, oh, you know, Phil's this and I'm in there and I get a leather bag here and I get invitations to that there. They want more of that. That's, so if I just tread the line and put it out and well, don't right. get too, you know, antsy about this and that, I'll get looked after, you know. And I love Harold Varner. Not that he's in that top echelon, mm. that he's actually bothered to come across uh, and play. It just highlights to me even more his sort of social ethos, I suppose. I don't even know what to say. I, this it, It's disgusting what this tournament is and what it's yep. become. That's its 20th edition. It's just been run and won for the record by John Rahm. Uh, who cares? Yeah, well, it is a who like, cares Seriously, situation, who right? cares? Did you try and watch any of it? No, hell no. It was, I watched half an hour one morning just because I, I got up and the, was having my break and the kids were still asleep and it was on. There's nothing. It was so flat. It was so boring. It's a good thing they had the ropes up for those huge crowds. Oh, yeah. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah, see someone tweet about that. <laughs> yeah. but so my, my, my point on this is, um, and I read a good story by Doug Ferguson who, who pointed out within the story that the Australian Open next year is going to have this hideous clash with the same event and you know it was the fifth oldest tournament in the in the world and you know deserved better basically which is great thanks doug ferguson from that associated press but he brought up some really interesting quotes he's obviously asked the american likely president's cup players their thoughts on getting the logistics of getting from the bahamas to melbourne and and you know will you be playing and how are you going to do it about it and there are a couple of thoughtful answers and there are a couple of Dustin Johnson type things. He goes, I'm not worried about it. I'll be with Tiger. Whatever Tiger's doing, I'll be with him. Yep. So that means, you know, I've got no fears of getting any repercussions about my choices. I'll just hitch my t- my wagon to Tiger. I'll be away. Well, bugger you, Dustin Johnson. I mean, that's pathetic. And and I haven't even got to Tiger. That's a, It's atrocious, you mm. know. So I don't give a crap about what happens in the global golf community. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just self-serving. Self-preservation, as yep. Bryden beautifully puts it. And Tiger, if I'm with Tiger, I'm not going to get in trouble. He's the captain of the President's Cup team. Mm, mm. I'm not sure of the exact schedule for 2019-2020 on the USPGA Tour. I know that the 2019 season ends now on August the 25th, roughly. That, in my head, gives us four extra weeks where this tournament could be played. That's around the fall series. It's around the Asian swing and whatever. There are now four more weeks where this crap could be played. And then they're going to put it fair and square up against the Australian Open and the week after the Australian PGA mm. and it makes my blood boil mm. and Tiger could pick any number of those weeks and he could, he could influence anything he wanted to so for him to give lip service to saying oh I'd love my players to come down and play in Australia um, uh, and practice before the President's Cup that's a complete load of crap mm. well there's, on, there's only one effective way to lead and that's by example 100%. so if you're going to lead the team you know if you want them to come play the Australian Open which would be a great service to the game, you know, the game's given a lot to Tiger, um, would be to come and play the Australian Open. Um, you know, that's not... I mean, I think we can all understand why why he runs this event, why it's oh, going yeah. on. And, but he also... He has the power to move the needle in the game unlike anyone else. Correct. So, you know, if he can move the needle in the game, he can move his event. Um, <laughs> and even just a week earlier, something like that, move it around if it needs to. But again... You know, we're being idealistic here um, because it's it's only a year away, first of all. If it was two years away, you'd have a lot more of a stronger argument to put some pressure on. But stuff like that is a year already set in advance. Like, they would have announced this week at the Bahamas the dates confirmed for next year's event. And the guys would be making the reservations at Albany Resort already for next year's event. And so, unfortunately, that's kind of the way that it that it falls out. But it's just not a good way to lead 
So I think the only solace you can take in it is that um, an effective team has an effective leader, and an effective leader uh, is not Tiger in this in this instance, just purely by his example, that he's going to have his players play in the Bahamas the week before playing in Melbourne. All others aside, it's a bit of a weather difference. <laughs> so, yeah. and a time zone change, you know, so that might that might help the internationals to win. Might give them well, an extra couple could, of percent. The Americans, like they did in 2011, could come down here and pants us again. I, you know, it stands to reason that they'll do that. They've got a, you know, a far more highly rated team in the world rankings, at least. I just think their, their conscience is... Almost non-existent. Yeah, non-existent. So, what's Jason days. Day going to do? Well, let's. I'd love to. We, let's ask Brian that we asked it. We posed it last week to to um, Huggy and Clates, and and I gave my two bobs worth. Bryden, I don't know if you heard it or not. No, I, I listened to it. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was um, insightful and accurate. Fair. Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's going to be a good test for Jason. You know, it'll be a nice test for his conscience. You know, because he's going to be playing on the international team in Australia, in our version of the biggest sort of team event that we can be part of, that is not all Australians, by the way. So it's no. actually, no, like, it's, it's, it's yeah. still, um, it's almost, in that sense, more important to play in your home country because there's less of you to represent. He so could be the only Australian in the team. But he could be. You know, I think Leash will probably be in the team. Um, oh, but, we might have four, but yeah, he we, could I mean, be We the might only have Australian. four, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a good possibility. There's a possibility that he'll be the only one. So I think... Uh, It'll be a good test for him, you know. I mean, it's it'll be a good opportunity for him to choose uh, home culture over self-preservation. And, and let's not forget, I mean, it's beautifully put, Bryden, by the way. Let's not forget, he just chose it over the Australian PGA in his home state. Uh, it was, yeah, let's I not was, forget yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to pass. You know, I think we're in the point now with Jason's relationship with Australian golf where people are starting to see a problem with it, you know. And so I think that's kind of the place that we're at. For a while there, he was supporting it and doing pretty well. And now people are starting to call into question his commitment to Australian golf. And whether or not you believe that he is or isn't, that's irrelevant. It's it's People are calling it into question. So he gets to choose where it goes next. So because it will go either back to how it was or it will go into a new realm of, all right, well, we've got these guys who are going to do it now, so we really don't care anymore. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good job that Bryden lives where he does, Andy, because I'd be out of a job, I swear to you. That's exactly what I think, but he just puts it way more eloquently. <laughs> he, it, it, it sat really poorly last week that there was an Australian flag on that leaderboard, on that that 18 man in that 18 man field. Mm. Uh, if he didn't want to come to Australia to play in the PGA for family reasons and be home, had the recently had the kid, or fine, no problems. Everybody can wear that. Yep. No worries. But don't then go and play golf in this millionaires club golf tournament. Well, what what, you, what don't you're essentially that. saying is that um, I value the eight hours extra flying time. That's the More. most important thing. That's what it is. Because st- it's not the family. It's not all of that. It's just not. It's not. It's and, easy. And granted, it's- he probably has a more relaxed week at the Bahamas. There's less media wanting a piece of him and this and that and that. But again, I still believe that when you're as blessed as those guys are, that that's 
you don't get to have your cake and eat it too, and that's the price that you mm. get. Mm. You know, so yeah, you come down to the Australian events, and the Australian media wants a piece of you every minute of every day that you're at the golf course, and it's harder to get your work done. And maybe you don't win the event, that doesn't look that good for you, even though you're expected to come down and win the event and all this stuff. But then you get to hop on a private plane or a first class Qantas ticket back to your eight bedroom house in Columbus, Ohio, or your eight bedroom <laughs> house in Dallas, Texas and play at Muirfield Village and go out there and practice and spend time with your amazing family. And it doesn't really, you know, it's funny to me that um, some people don't look at it and go, well, it's all part of the process. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. I've got the good stuff, so I just want to do the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting to me. that, But again, that's kind of a, a small uh, percentage of people view it that way. Um, <laughs> I, but I've written a far less um, qualified argument than that Andy, on, hardly, on, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Golf Australia um, about my thoughts on what Tiger should do it'll be up by the time people listen to this okay. uh, I'd be interested I'd love as much feedback as we can because I'm you know as Bryden says the court of public opinion is what matters here um, you know I think it's come to that time for for, for, for many people in this whole discussion yeah. Tiger Jason Day uh, Dustin Johnson anyone any you name it there's, it's it's time to put your colours on the mast here, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time in sport, right or wrong, um, talking about legacy. You know, what what is this individual's legacy going to be? Uh, what will they be remembered for? What do they stand for? How are they going to be regarded? Uh, these are the decisions that mm. shape legacies, I reckon. And um, whether the individual cares... They may not care. They may just have no regard for that. Um, well, that's, that's a fair assumption. Or, you know? When someone acts in a way like they don't care, mm. they probably don't care. Mm. That's, you're probably fair to read that into it, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll move right along. Um, Greg Norman medal uh, yeah. was conducted since we were last here. And full credit to the PGA of Australia for making it a great week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you always have people discussing the course. I don't think it's the best course they could be playing the tournament at. That just stands to reason. But it is what it is, commercial deal. Um, but the, the Greg Norman medals become a, um, an important part of that week. And awesome, awesome, awesome to see Minji Lee become the first female winner of the Greg Norman medal. Um, and she was clearly very excited on the video link to be able to sort of hook up with, with, with Greg on the video link, if nothing else, from Korea. So that was that was phenomenal and great reward, I would have thought, for a tremendous season. <laughs> Couldn't agree with Absolutely. More. Yep. She's a great player. She She's done it. great. She uh, deserves it. <laughs> anything else before we get to a break? I have one thing that I want to touch on if we've got a few minutes. After listening to the last thing, I would like to um, add some food to thought about the the, um, support of the Australian Tour versus and the the future of the Australian Open and things like that. First of all, I agree with the uh, amalgamation of the men's and women's Australian Open. I think that's inevitable. The Vic Open's kind of proven that that's a recipe for success. Eventually, that has to happen. You know, um, and I think that that's that that's great. Uh, but I I I did get a little bit of a sense, and this is where I take a little bit of a contrary position and say that there is a little bit of a um, we need to kind of stand up for ourselves as Australians, as the Australian Open, and all this kind of stuff at the expense of the other tours. So it's almost like you're saying to the PGA Tour, um, we care about us, so we can't care about you. So there's a little bit of a... I just got the sense of just a little bit um, that it might be a better uh, conversation to have is how can we help everyone? Like, how can we help the Australian Open by actually, for the first few years, maybe giving the European Tour what they want? 
and giving the PGA Tour what they want in order for it to be part of like the growth of the Australian Open instead of just t- taking a little bit of a uh, contrary thing that it's it's either us or you. You know, like why why can't everyone? Why can't it be just a great event that helps? Mm. And that we actually encourage the European tour players to come play um, by having it just be a great event for everyone. It doesn't have to just be this is our event, this is it. It's like we're ho- it's like once like we're hosting the European tour at our home event instead of um, having it having to prove that our event is great and that that has to come at the expense of everyone else. You know, maybe take a maybe we can take a little bit more of a the more people that we can include in it, the better, and that includes the women. So like if we can get the LPGA tour to be part of the Australian Open and the European Tour to be part of the Australian Open and somehow put it all together. That turns into a massive event. Is that something you picked up from our last podcast? Yeah, or something else? Okay. yeah, yeah. So I just, I just picked up just a little bit of a uh, it's us versus them about it. But yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested. Like, Yeah, and I, my, my thought on that to hear you say it, I mean, I, I, I fundamentally agree with what you're saying. But I My take on that is that we put forward something that... Um, by all public opinion from what came back to us at the lakes a couple of weeks ago was not up to snuff in terms of the, the Sydney population's ability or desire to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, it, it's again, it's sort of like what we were talking about with Jason Day. It's the public perception that probably is more important. Have we got something that's willing to, um, that they're willing to pay to come and watch? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can, we can argue all day about the men's and women's and the, the location of the tournament and the cities, etc. But do we have something that the theatre goers want to pay to come and watch? Because you'll come and watch, and you'll come mm. and watch. I'll go and watch, um, but hopefully you'll play. Hopefully I'll play, but still, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I think it's a it's a balancing act between trying to find something that's appealing mm-hmm. and doing the the magnanimous thing that you're suggesting. Yeah. I, uh, tough act. It's a really good point you make. Um, it's it's like it's a difficult thing to try and it's always it's always difficult in any part of life to give before you get. Yeah. And I think that is a is a really powerful way to um Australian golf to me over the last 10 15 years has had a really combative relationship with the rest of the world where it's like, well, we have our stuff and we need our players to come back and support our tour because yeah. we said so. And instead of like Hey, maybe maybe we can join and maybe we can add value to these other tours without having a combative thing. Like, why does the President's Cup have to be about smashing the crap out of the Americans? Why can't it just be about putting on a great event that we want the Americans to come and play, give a nice accommodating culture where of course we want the international team to win, but it's an amazing event and that's what that's what makes sure that the players come back and that you know the the better experience that they have at the president's cup this year if you get three of them to play the australian open if they have a great experience and they're welcomed and you're almost they're almost pandered to just a little bit mm. just enough to make them you know because that's kind of the american way that's how you get that's how you get to know people in america you kind of pander to it and then that's just how it works over there if you get 3 out of 12 playing the australian open this year they have a great experience and then they have a great experience at the President's Cup, whereas the, you know it's just about the event, uh, not so much about the competition. Then it's maybe you get five the next the next time that play the Australian Open because they get better and better experiences because we're welcoming the whole thing, not not so much about like why aren't you back playing in Australia and all this kind of stuff, and why aren't you guys playing the Australian Open? Why are you playing Tiger's event? 
you know, I mean, that's that that can only, um, as much as I agree <laughs> that they should be here, that uh, that approach can only actually hurt the course, not help it. Uh, I think, it's, yeah. And this I, is and, and this I, is I what think... I said. Like, it's not a. This is a non-echo chamber thought. Like, no, and, and that's and that's and that's why I wanted to bring it up. No, I mate, it's, it's and it's the perfect forum for that. And I, 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 as I said, I fundamentally agree with you. And I'm not sure what Andy, Andy will no, respond. No, I do too. It's sort of it. It the. The, I reckon the position that you've you've um, kind of become aware of listening to people talk about you know this kind of this antagonistic, mm. it's because it feels like the world of golf has turned its back on Australia a bit. Absolutely. So it's sort of like, well, if we don't stand up for ourselves, no one's going to. Very true. Yeah. So I, I, well, I mean, exactly. Like, I, I think everything you're saying is unbelievably virtuous. I think it's mm. all. Um, incredibly worthwhile, um, but unless it is a two-way street, there's only one. There's only one group fighting for Australian golf at the moment. You're and that's absolutely Australian right, golf, and, that, and that's a totally natural reaction mm-hmm. to what's going on. You know, I think it's. I think, but I think it's important for someone or some people who actually have the gravity of the decisions to pluck themselves out of it. I, or, and, if only and, we can find it. Yeah, like, and, you know, and yeah. say, well, you know, it needs to be a two-way street. Yeah. Um, but right now, Australia's building a one-way road. Yeah, no, I, I you think know, so. Yeah, it's like yeah. we actually we build the street first, and then the cars will come. Yeah, so yeah. it's like it's uh, to use a very terrible metaphor. Yeah. Um, and that's but, why we put. <laughs> and that's why we put pressure on Australia. And, and I don't. I don't like being. I don't like that kind of conga line. Uh, that, that lays boots into Australian guys who don't play in Australian tournaments, but but it it becomes a reality every year now because without them, what do we got? You're absolutely right. You know? Yeah, that's right. And, what do we got? And that's and that's why it's such a difficult problem. Mm. Um, and even with that uh, with that specific problem of guys not coming back, and I've voiced my opinion on that. I just like to put morals before no, I think money. You're right. and, yeah, but. I just, I just think that makes you in the extreme minority, and while abs- I agree uh, with it, I like, live in the extreme minority. That's <laughs> where I hang out. I just think it's, um, I think it's the perfect world, to be honest. Oh, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm being I'm, idealistic, like to a to a large extent. But if we can get halfway from where we are to idealistic, then we'll have a better reality. Yeah, so that's a good point. I just got. I want to bring one point up to you because I'd be interested. I think his first name's Ross, but it's definitely McGowan, the guy who finished tied yeah. third with yeah, 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 sixty three. Okay, yeah. So Ross McGowan comes off and does his does his um, speech uh, for you know his magnificent sixty three on Sunday at the Ro- yeah. at Royal Pines, and effectively says, "I'm oh, it's great. I've had a great round, great week, great experience. Loved it. Loved the Australian PGA Championship. Da 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 da. Everything you have to say, and then yeah, yeah. correct. But I'm only here because I couldn't get in the Mauritius Open field. Um, the Mauritius Open shot to the gut, field. right like, there. Are you bloody serious? Like that's in, so in a, in a journeyman English golfer's mind, wow. the Mauritius Open is a superior tournament for whatever reason. Logistics, his, it can't be history. Most likely logistics, yeah. but is a superior offering than the Australian PGA Championship. We've wow. got a serious problem. That's a 100-plus-year-old tournament versus something that's just a bolt-on to the European Tour in the last handful of years. Yeah. In his mind, he didn't say anything wrong because he said everything nicely. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He, well, was, he and, was the ultimate professional when he came off the course. Thanks, yeah. it was awesome. Da, da, da. And the next breath just surreptitiously whips, whips the boots into the Australian PGA Championship by saying... It's second to me to a tournament I couldn't get into that no one else in the world gives a crap about. Well, you know, and it, it's not it's not technically wrong by any sense because it's honest. So oh, I'm not putting, you know, so I know I know exactly what you problem. mean, but but we should be thankful that something like that came up 
because that is a very uh, honest opinion of where it's at at the moment. Mm. And I think the PGA, I haven't been to these events in a few years. I'm going to Q School this week and next week so that I can because I've talked to talk about playing in Australia, so I figure I should walk the walk by now. And uh, But I think that that's, a really, that's something that the PGA should take note of and say, well, why? You know, why is it like this? Yeah. How do we fix it? It's not going to happen before next year, but they can definitely take two or three steps before next year, whatever those are. I don't know what they are. I'm not an expert. So I think it's, that's a really, uh, I think that's a, that's a gift, that comment. I think people will look at it and say, oh, that's terrible that he said that and all this kind of stuff. Well, I look at it as that's a very honest opinion about where the tournament stands and you can't fix something until you honestly know what's wrong with it. So, and if there, that there is a problem, because that's shown that there is a problem. And again, I agree with you again, but to me, it's a case of money talks here. Yeah. And when you are, let's just, I'll just pick someone who I know was in the Bahamas, Keegan Bradley. Mm-hmm. When Keegan Bradley could have stayed here and played um, the World Cup, could have stayed and played the uh, Australian PGA after he was here for the Open as a paid player. Mm-hmm. And he's opted to go home, which is his prerogative. Um, but he's put as a, a dominant factor in his mind, at least, the non-cut money guarantee of playing in the Bahamas over playing in a country where he already was and mm. all the other stuff that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's decided that, you know, if I play terribly at, uh, at Albany this week, I'm going to bank 60,000 US. You know, that I'll have to play my backside off to get that at the Australian PGA. Yep. That's what it is. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and we cannot physically match the money on offer in other mm. tours we just can't and that's the biggest impediment to the to your altruistic points of view here and i i don't know how we resolve that because i think what you say has so much merit but the logistics of it um make skew it to the point of impossibility mm. no well, I, they don't care about history and they don't care about legacy if they don't care about either of those things it's only about the money and convenience so they're going to take money and convenience every day of the week well, they are. I mean, the yeah. Bahamas, it's probably worth noticing, noting the Bahamas is only a 30-minute boat ride from where Keegan lives. Hmm. So it's, that's, you know... That's, uh, perhaps I shouldn't it, have picked him out. You no, know, you're absolutely right. He's a good example because he was here and he was paying as a yeah. paid player and that's and that's a really good example. Um, I am of the belief that it's much harder to find someone to put up $5 million for the Australian PGA Championship than it is to turn the event into an event that is worth $5 million in the first place. So it's much easier to act, even though it's still very difficult, to go to the European Tour and the Australian Open. I've been, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think the destiny of the Australian Open should be that it should be a Rolex event. I think that's what they should do with it. You know, there are very, it should be Wentworth. Wentworth is your, is your, um, Wentworth is your model because that's the biggest event in the UK outside of yeah. uh, this, the, the Open Championship and all of the English guys go home for that. Granted, it's a little closer, but at the same time, it's still 7 million euros or 6 million euros, yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. I think the Australian, the Australian PGA should be sitting with the European Tour and say, okay, we want in five years the Australian Open to be a Rolex event. How do we do that? Tell us what to do. And when it's a Rolex event, you'll have no problem getting 5 or 6 million euros for the event. But if you try and get 5 or 6 million euros for the event first, you need an angel to come in and solve your problem for you instead of actually solving the problem and then the rest of it flows from there. That's that's the lesser of two difficult paths is to because the money evaporates as well. So if you can build the quality of the event, that does not evaporate as quickly. 
Food for thought. That's there is some meat on the bone in that first segment. Um, we better get a break out of the way, <laughs> yeah, uh, or we're going to be here for hours and hours and hours. As uh, compelling as the conversation is, which you should have known, inviting me. No, here. no, it's great, it's fantastic, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure every golf fan listening to it um, is enjoying the um, the conversation. Uh, Jake McLeod's going to join us. Uh, we sat down earlier, Brian and I, and had a chat to the young Australian who's just uh, had his golf world changed by virtue of winning the Australian Order of Merit. That's coming up next here on Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, great to have you with us on Inside the Ropes. Um, one of the great stories, Bryden, uh, in Australian golf in the last month has been that of Jake McLeod. And you tee it up at a tournament like the Australian Open or the PGA Championship and you want to win it. That's what it's all about. But Absolutely. such is the nature of golf. There's many, many layers to what's going on out there. And um, in Australia, has been the battle for the order of merit. And with that comes certain trappings. Well, some seriously good trappings, I would say. You know, I mean, they've done a pretty good job of giving the winner of the Australian Order of Merit, like, a pretty good opportunity yep. to play worldwide golf. Yep. And I think uh, Jake has managed to secure that. He has. So. And, and at a great time in his, in his career, he's been good enough to join us on the show with his head, I reckon, still spinning a little bit uh, after Royal Pines on the weekend. Jake McLeod, thanks for joining us and c- congratulations, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's... Um been a big last four weeks, so very happy right now. So we'll talk about the specifics of those last four weeks on the way through, but when you got to Queensland for the PGA, um, obviously you want to win, you're in good enough form to win, but what what other considerations were you aware of? What, what were your sort of game plans and what were the kind of multi-layers that were running through your head as you, as you teed it up at the PGA Championship? Yeah, um, there's just so many scenarios that could have happened. Um, you know, I could have played really well that week and, and still not have won, um, you know, like a top 10, depending on what the other guys did. Or I could have, you know, missed the cut and, and still won, depending on what those other few guys had done as well. So in the end, I had to play um, fairly solid because Matty Miller um, raised up the leaderboard on the Saturday, Sunday, played great golf and um, put a lot of pressure on myself. And I was lucky enough to scrape through, yeah. Yeah, because you uh, you only won the money list by about twenty grand, so that's um, that's pretty close, isn't it? For those last uh, little nerve wracking Sunday for you, was it? Yeah, it was. I was um, trying not to think about it, but it was always in my head. Yeah, well, I mean, day. as if it's um, not going to be. You know what the carrot is, and, and second isn't quite as good as first, <laughs> is it? Yeah, exactly right. So um, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in the way I played on the weekend as well. I've lost a little bit of momentum and uh, wasn't swinging it too well, but I sort of grinded it out pretty well. Um, and, you know, when I went in to sign my scorecard, I wasn't too sure of all the figures and what would happen. I thought Maddie's third might be enough, and um, they told me I had to finish tied second, so I was sort of relying on Leishman to hold strong. <laughs> well, if there was ever a uh, an example of every shot counts uh, for anyone listening that's trying to play the game, there you go over the weekend. Yeah. You're not feeling good yeah. with your game, you're not feeling great with your swing, but you grind it out, and uh, I'm sure you can look back on a little few instances over the weekend that won you the money list, so well done. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. So, so do you wander around? We hear you guys talk about staying in the moment and you know one shot at a time and you know all of that sort of stuff, Jake. But are you wandering around on that Sunday, even if you're sort of accidentally doing it, kind of crunching the numbers? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sort of, you know, I was sort of, I was looking at leaderboards and, you know, I was playing with Dimmy as well, which is the other guy who was um, contending for the Order of Merit. So, um, you know, that was easy in that regard to see what he was doing. And, um, you know, we were sort of both playing the same all day. So I sort of knew that it was going to be Matty Miller um, was the only other guy. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, a lot of thoughts run through your head all day and, um you sort of just got to let them, let them fly, you know, and sort of just get on with the shot. You know, you can't stop them from coming in, so you just got to stay shot-focused and do the best job you can on um, what you got in front of you, yeah. So now that you know what doors open for you and you've looked at, I imagine you've looked at what the Order of Merit actually means in terms of 2019, what are the yeah. things that jump off the page at you? Well, what are you going to be part of that is really exciting you next year? Um, well, first of all, yeah, just the European Tour status. Um, so I believe it's just in front of Q School. Um, so I should get a lot of starts next year, I think. Um, and then you get the two World Golf Championships, one in uh, Mexico and um, the one in China, mm-hmm. which will be awesome. Um, and then like in, at the Aussie Open, I uh, qualified for the British Open, um, the Open, so... You know, super pumped to play in that, my first major, and that's just going to be um, an unreal week, yeah. That's, oh, that's awesome. And that's you, great. You've got, uh, you can put together a pretty pretty good schedule. You should get some. Ro- you should get most of the Rolex events as well, so that's uh, that's a big key European tour. Um, yeah. I know even the top Challenge Tour guys will get the, a good chunk of the Rolex event, so that's exciting. Are you going to South Africa in a couple of weeks? I'm um, not, no. I, I decided to just take the, um, the last few weeks of the year off. And, yeah. Um, Get ready for the Middle East. Get a little um, debrief. So. Yeah, it's a long way to yeah. go. The purse isn't that big anyway, so that's probably a smart <laughs> move. <laughs> so your feet yeah. touching the ground, Jake. Like, is it? This is such a you know a pivotal moment, you know, in in a young player's career. Um, and there's any number of ways of you know sort of getting there at any stage of your career, Brighton. So um, this is something we'll talk to you about a bit later on in the show. But uh, is your is it a real kind of head spinning? point of your career or are you, are you surprisingly kind of calm about um, you know where this result is going to lead you to yeah um, well I think my you know my game was trending in the right direction over the last couple of years um, so you know I was I'm sort of you know not surprised well I am surprised that I sort of won the order of merit type thing with um, I didn't really think about it until I won New South Wales Open because um, I wasn't really in the hunt, but I guess, you know, one week can turn that around. Um, but, yeah, now that, you know, I've got all that, all those starts and stuff, it's, um, I don't know, I sort of need a... I'm still trying to get my head around it all, and I need to, you know, sit down with my old man and um, my coach, Lee, and, you know, sort out a schedule. Um, you know, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of... I'm still wrapping my head around it all. It's, um, it's been a big few weeks, so... Yeah. Well, it's a big shit. It's a big shift, big life change. I would, yeah. if I can offer any piece of advice on the air, it would be to uh, seek out someone, maybe like Marcus Fraser comes to light, comes to mind, someone yeah. who's played in Europe a lot, knows their way around a tour, might give you a nice bit of insight into which events are good and which ones to play and all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the older guys have um, come up to me and you know congratulate me and stuff and asked 
uh, told me if I need a hand, just ask them. So yeah, that's great. Definitely get in touch with a couple of guys, and I think you know Scrivener has been up there for a while now. So yeah. be in touch with those sort of guys, which would be good, a good help. Talking to Jake McLeod, uh, Jake, you said just before that you feel like your game's been heading in the right direction for the last couple of years, but it's sort of reached this little peak in the last month. Is something in particular um, kind of found its groove that's allowed you to put together this little run of results? Yeah, um, I've been just doing a lot of short game work over the past sort of six to twelve months, and um, it's starting to show in uh, in my tournament golf, which is good. Um, over those, you know, in New South Wales Open, Aussie Open, just my putting inside ten feet was really good. You know, basically holding most putts. Um, whereas in the past, I I don't know, I thought I putted all right, but I was just statistically I wasn't. So. Um, and what did so, you yeah. do to uh, make that improvement? Did you change anything about the way that you putt, or did you just change the way you practice, or did you just practice more, or what have you got for us? Practice more. I changed putter um, to something that I was fit for a while ago, but I just wasn't using, and then I sort of got them to build up this putter up and got a lot of confidence with it now. Um, and just, I don't know, sort of um, just focusing more on... I was always too worried about the outcome, um, you know, which is easy to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd find myself getting out of the putt early and looking at the hole where it's going instead of, you know, just getting online and with good speed. Um, so that's just all I focus on now. And, um, you know, it's it's paid paid dividends, really. But I guess... The Literally, is, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's been working well. And, and one thing I'm always interested, this last one before, I know we, we, you've got to go and tee it up at Capera um, as we're speaking to you. Just last one from me before we let you go. Do you have, are you comfortable now that you, you, know, you belong? This is one of those things that maybe you don't really know until you get there, but you're sort of on the cusp of it now. You're going to be in the middle of it next year. When you're not teeing it up alongside sort of Dimmy and guys you've kind of grown up playing with and against and you're sort of starting to tee it up alongside real hardcore, big-money professionals around the world. Are you ready for that? Do you feel like, you know, yep, I can take that on? Yeah, I think um, I think I am. I've, You know, it's obviously going to be an eye-opener over there, and, you know, the depth of the field is obviously just a lot better. Um, but I think, you know, our good players here are just as good as theirs over there. Um, but, uh, you know, I've played with a few good players now in some of the in some of the bigger events here, which has been good. And, you know, it's good to see guys like Lucas Herbert do really well. Um, he's had, I don't know how many top tens he's had up there, eight or whatever he's had, which is yeah. um, which is awesome. So I think, you know, my game's probably just as good as his, I'd say. We've played together before and practice rounds and stuff. So um, seeing him do that gives me the belief and confidence that I can sort of do that as well, yeah. And the man bun stays, mate. The hair's just going to stay unchanged. You're going to keep rolling with it all? Yeah, I, th- I think I will. I don't know, it could get real cold out there, so it'll keep me warm. But <laughs> yeah, I think I'll keep it for now. Mate, super result. Everybody's absolutely thrilled to see another emerging young Australian player kind of put his stake in the ground. And uh, 2019's was always going to be an interesting and exciting year for Australian golf, men's and women's. Um, with you in the mix, it's just another layer that you've added to it, mate. Well played. Uh, enjoy the little time off uh, and can't wait to see you get your um, teeth stuck into it next year. Congrats and thanks for joining us on the show. 
Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Jake McLeod, who wins the Australian Order of Merit, and the number of doors that opened to him in 2019, that is a life-changing uh, experience waiting to be had for that young man. Uh, more to come on Inside the Ropes uh, after this break. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Visit Welcome back to the show, uh, Brian McPherson, Mark Hayes and myself, Andy Mark. Interesting that chat we had with um, Jake McLeod. And before we talk about what's in front of you, Brian, specifically, and get to a few matters uh, in front of you, Hazy, that we need to uh, tick off before we wrap it up today. What, what are those pitfalls that he's going to confront as best that, uh, to your knowledge? Or what are the things that he's going to need to kind of get right to make the opportunity that he's got um, as, you know, positive an experience as it potentially can be? Well, I mean, the hardest thing is uh, is accepting that you will make mistakes and that that's okay. <laughs> um, he just has to figure out uh, where he's going to play, the logistics of how he's going to do that. We were talking, you know, off-air about uh, where he's going to live and where he's going to be based, and he's got to take stock of where he's at with his game and, and how dependent he is on the people around him, which is neither good nor bad, but mm. you need to decide what you're going to do based on that. Um, if you're dependent on people, you need to stay around them. If you're, uh, Because your first year on the European tour is no time to uh, salute your independence and try and do things on your own <laughs> if you haven't been doing it so far. Um, so... He needs to kind of figure out his way of doing it. You know, I mean, you ask him about whether or not he feels ready, uh, whether or not he... Um, thinks that he belongs hmm. and uh to be honest he doesn't know yet no, he, he can no. only go through experience it's great that he thinks that he does that's the first step to actually belonging is thinking that you do and so but the his experience will, de- will determine whether or not he is and that's something that he gets to go through and and he just um we don't have the answers no one has the answers except for himself through his own experience and so he'll get to go through and hopefully take some advice from some guys who have been out there and know the tours and know the events and, and say, yeah, this this one might be 500,000 euros more, but it's a crap event. Play Switzerland the next week or whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know, this golf course will be good for you and that kind of stuff. And he'll be able to take that on board and, and um, do it his way. So he's what's it like? I was interested when he said that, you know, the, the colour of players that I'm playing against down here in Australia, they're as good as players anywhere in the world. And notionally, that is, that is right. Mm-hmm. We're not arguing that. But he'll go from um, an Australian, you know, state open where uh, a guy like, um, say, Jack Wilson is, you know, has to make par and 18 to make the cut. Mm-hmm. And he'll go over to Europe and it's Martin Keimer who needs to make par on um, the 36 hole to yep. make the cut. And with all due respect to Jack or whoever the Australian version of Martin Keimer is in that event, they're not Martin Keimer. They're not no. a multiple major champion. No. The depth of player just is different and the calibre of player and the magnitude of their careers and who they are in the game of golf is different. Is that is that imposing? 
Yeah, I, I just have in my head an image of uh, Jack Wilson standing next to Martin Keimer, and I couldn't imagine two people who look any more different. Um, <laughs> There's a clearly but, a reason but why no, those two struggle right. right, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, like um, Jake uh, touched on uh, something and then almost directly um, sort of gave the contrary point yeah. where he said... I think that the best players down here are as good as over there. But then he also mentioned the field depth. So the, there's a uh, there's a big difference because... What did he finish? 20th at the PGA yeah, last yeah, week? No, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so there's a big difference between having uh, three of the best players in the world in front of you when you finish 20th and 10 guys who aren't and then playing against a field of guys who are top 50 in the world, top mm. 100 in the world. Um, because it's much it's much easier to... Uh, I still remember a, a long time ago, a long time ago, when Pete Lonard won the Australian Order of Merit. He actually did it uh, at a few events by making a cut on the number and shooting 63-63 on the weekend. <laughs> and um, the difference is, is that you don't get that opportunity on a tour like the European Tour. Because if you shoot scores like you do in the first two rounds, you have the weekend off. Um, so <laughs> so, so that's the biggest difference between yeah. deep fields and non-deep fields is you, have, you don't have as many weekend opportunities. Because uh, in order to make the weekend, um, you have to you have to play like Freights. I keep mentioning him; he's going to think I have a crush on him. But I mean, he has the he has the longest cut streak on yeah, the yeah, European yeah. Tour yeah. record, um, and he will attest that it's not it's not easy, you know, because mm. you've got to play against the depth of the field, and that every guy that you play with is good enough to win the Australian PGA. Whereas that's not the case when you play the Australian PGA. Yeah, true. So true. Uh, that's yeah. something that I think he'll learn. But he's obviously a good enough player because he did win the Order of Merit. Mm. So um, and he finished top five at the Australian Open. That's an achievement. Mm. There were some great players in that field. He beat some good guys. He would have picked up some world ranking points. So he'll he'll figure it out. Yeah, he was a member of the Queensland Interstate Series winning team with Cameron Smith about five or six years ago, Andy. There you go. Yeah, I mean he's been he's been an identified player for a while, hasn't he? People have been. You know, for probably three years ago, I reckon he sort of bobbed his, stuck his nose in the frame and started kind of gathering a bit of attention. Mm -hmm. And then it's, as he said, his game, you know, has been feeling good for two years, but it's taken, you know, four weeks for it to crystallize back to back to back to back. Uh, to get him, well, three, take one week out. Crystallised take... into a diamond, really. There you go, yeah. that's right. So <laughs> what is. about you? We're, you're here and you, you're playing Q School. So what's your what's your immediate future look like and what have you got in front of you um, coming into 2019? So I went to European Q School three and a half, four weeks ago in yep. Spain and sucked, so I missed out. And so for me, my goal is to have a European tour car at the end of next year, mm -hmm. 2019. And I look at that as that is the only constant in what I'm doing. I'm sort of looking at that every day and reminding myself that that's where I'm heading. And there's not one path. Like I said to you before, <laughs> Andy, it's, 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 you don't get to choose how things work out, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and so there's lots of pathways. So for me, the first pathway was Q School. That is no longer an option. So the next thing for me is to take advantage of the now bustling Aussie tour with the four European co-sanctioned events that... Take advantage of that. And so that's why I'm here at Q, School, at Q School this week. Aussie Q School first stage this week at Sandhurst and then next week at Menelinx for final stage because that is the next step in the opportunity that allows me to work towards a European tour card for the end of next yep, year. Yep. Um, and if that doesn't work out, so, uh, then it'll be challenge tour invites. 
Challenge Tour events with the China Tour, and then finally Q School again. So yeah. it's kind of you you place the opportunity in front of you uh, when it and and then um, you try to do your best. That's really all you can do. Yeah. And so for me, I'm playing this Q School, then I'll be back at home. Uh, my girlfriend's from Hawaii, so we'll be going out there for the Sony qualifier as well. See her family, kind of nice uh, sort of coincidence there. And and then. Um, Vic Open, Perth, hopefully, and, and these events early in the year, and New Zealand Open, and, and uh, yeah, hopefully get a chance to play in Australia again. It's nice. I've only played sort of two or three professional events here and uh, have loved it all. Yeah. yeah, it's great. They're great events. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be good to have I, you I, I don't mind the travel. So have so. you said, have you done that before? <laughs> in have economy. You, have you actually, have you actually, it'd be better, trust me, on my limited in experience. In a middle seat. <laughs> my very limited experience, if you get the opportunity, you turn left. Yeah, well, so. you, you do, if you can, if it's available. Absolutely. Um, have you done that before? Have you set yourself this kind of target to chase before? I haven't. I haven't. It's something that I've actually only recently uh, grasped. You know, it took me 28 years. But uh, for me, I was always really big on process. Everyone, anyone that knows me knows mm. that I was annoyingly uh, talking of the process and, and focus on, on the step-by-step and, and the journey is the reward and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the thing that I uh, have only realized is, uh, and it's something that, you know, everyone realizes stuff in their own time. And, and for me, this is my time to realize it, is that, um, a, you know, a journey without a goal is not a climb up a mountain. It's just wandering around. <laughs> so if you don't have the goal set that you can say, I'm trying to get there, it's actually not a journey. You just wandering around yeah wasting time spinning your wheels and that's kind of what my professional career has felt like honestly mm. to me so uh whether that's you know i think it's a contributing factor it's not the answer because there is no answer but uh for me you know i've kind of taken a bit more of a um a uh a chance to every morning sort of get up and just say okay this is what i'm trying to achieve in the next year yeah. in the next five years and just kind of remind myself that that's where I'm heading. Yeah. So, and then when you've got a daily goal or a weekly goal or a yearly goal or a lifetime goal, then you're able to make sure that every choice that you make, you know, within reason, is in line with that goal. And that's something that I've only realized in the last six months. Did you and, arrive uh, at this realization yourself? The same way that you, uh, I arise at all my realizations, uh. just out of nowhere. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, I, I read a lot. I like to read, and uh, you know, I like to sort of find new ideas and and listen to the way that people think about things and and all that stuff. So, I, I come to this stuff, and and um, my my challenge is sticking to the realization. Mm, mm, so this, mm. you know, that's for me. Is I can say, okay, I'm going to stick to this for a year, and three months later, I'm like. Yeah, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna stick to this for a year. You know, it's something different. So that's my challenge. Uh, everyone has their challenge. So for me, it's just about um, st- staying, staying the course. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which for yeah. someone with a busy mind is not uh, particularly easy. So well, if it's something you want to do, like if this is truly what you want to do, um, are you good at? Well, you'll find out, I guess, because this is new for you. But do you think you're going to be good at keeping the other? Um, influences that can kind of derail you or distract you from time to time? Do you think you'll be good at keeping them at bay? Um, well, I mean, that remains to be seen, so, obviously. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I've I've been good at staying committed to things when I've gotten into a groove. You know, like, I've I've been pretty committed to physical work now for, a, a, you know, six or seven years and uh, I'm pretty well ensconced in that. And so I have shown myself that given that I believe in the information... I can commit to anything yeah. and I can really commit to it. And you know, it obviously wavers back and forth, just like anything. But um, 
it's it's whether or not you're still on on the path mm. is is the key. And so I don't know. I'll let you know in a year. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. talking we'll about me winning the Aussie money list next yeah, yeah, year, yeah. And, awesome. and then I'll be able to say, remember at that time, you know. And <laughs> so um, yeah. So that's that's just that's where I'm at. Uh, but I don't like to. At the same time, I don't like to focus on the stuff way off in the distance. Mm. You got to keep yourself mm. here and today. And what am I doing next in yeah. order to be in line with those goals? So. So it might work, it might not, who knows. I thought Andy was just aimlessly wandering around in budgie smugglers until I realised it was his goal to be on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition cover. So I'm glad to I'm not going to let go of that. I'm no. hanging on. <laughs> It'll happen. This isn't specifically about you, Bryden, but it's been mooted here and other places that maybe if we go down a further alignment with the European tour that the state-based Opens or the PGA Championships of the various states around Australia... Uh, become challenge tour events on the European tour. I imagine listening to you talk that that would be a boon for you. I think it would be smart. It only fits in with the model. It's something that you could add to the European tour package. Say we'll give you six events about six of our events as challenge tour events too. You know, give up our spots. That's the thing. Like the PGA of Australia has to give up a lot. You know, they have to say, "Sorry, guys, we've only got forty spots in this event." You know, and the guys have to be okay with that. And the PGA of Australia has to take the approach that the PGA Tour does when players complain, and that's just tell them to putt better, you know. And and they have to be okay with making that kind of harsh decision um, because sometimes they get a little carried away with standing up for the Aussie players too much. What if we get more spots? Well, you won't. No, no, more spots in turn, more European mm-hmm. cards. More European cards, yeah. You know, we're not maybe. playing for one, we're playing for six. Yeah, yeah you know. that's probably a bit of a pipe dream. Um, but you could definitely play for challenge spots. Hmm. You could have the winner of the Order of Merit get the, get the card that they get now, and then you could give um, two, through two, three, and four challenge cards. Hmm. That's so one that, way you could do it. Well, that's a good philosophical discussion for you to have. I mean, it, it, you personally, I mean, if the 75th best player on the Australian PGA Tour... L- you know, literally doesn't have much of a shot of getting a European tour card ever unless they catch yeah. lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Is it not better to have 40 guys who, are, who have games to legitimately make it have a better chance? It's much better. Um, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're 75th on the Australian Order of Merit, you don't deserve to get into a European tour event. It's just that simple. Like, you How just, do you so, have that conversation if you're the Australian PGA? Um, you tell them that if they're 75th on the Australian Order of Merit, they're not good enough to get into the European Tour event. Just it's, cold, it's, brutal reality. Well, that's what it is. I mean, no, I agree yeah, with if you. you know, yeah, if you're going to play professional golf, cold, brutal reality is your... That's what you sing yourself to sleep at night with. You know, yeah. So it's it's uh, that's just how it is. Play better. You know, that's this, you know, you're not playing the Australian, Australian Tour, Australasian Tour, and uh, expecting any kind of job security. You know, it's a pathway tour. You're trying to make your way up to bigger and better things and mm. come back and support your tour one day. That's kind of the model. So there's nothing wrong with only giving spots to the top 40. Um, and the person who's 41st on the money list is currently cursing their podcast app. But uh, <laughs> but that's that's just unfortunately how it is. Like golf's full of near misses. Plenty of guys that are missed by one at Q School. Guys who missed European tour cards by $100. You know, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Like It's just part of the game. So... For every near miss, there's a near gain, so yeah. it's it balances out. So um, I think the Aussie Tour shouldn't be too worried about the guys 41 to 60, which is kind of the number where it would be at. Yeah. Um, they're the guys that they're kind of looking out for. You know, they, need, they don't need to be looking out for them. They need to be looking out for the tour. You know, that's their job. You know, it's not it's not the it's not their job to look after the players. It's not the Australasian daycare tour. It's the Australasian golf tour. So look out 
for the tour. You know, focus on that and then let the players deal with their own thing. Their independent contractors deal with it. Just let them do their thing. Hmm. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, know, I don't want to sound harsh on anyone who's battling around the towards 100 on the Australian order of merit. But you see the practicalities of that come down to even um, timesheets, for example, at, at bigger tournaments. Um, you know, the, the Australian Open was having fields of... Um, 74, and I know it worked out because of, of the way the, the numbers fell, but we're having two ball starts at 6.45 on Saturday and Sunday morning at the Australian mm-hmm. Open because the field was enormous. And there are other things going on, Play 9 and the All Abilities All Championship yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and things that were you know compounding that. But there were too many people in the field. You know, 156 got cut to 144 for the All Abilities Championship, but 144 people is logistically tough, especially if there's a log jam around the cut number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I... That's one example. I probably could think of a few more where uh, s- smaller fields would work better. Yeah, normally the only reason they change field size is because of daylight restrictions. Yeah. Which in Australia in summer, we're, we're grateful that we don't have those restrictions. You know, in Melbourne, it's light until 9 o'clock mm. at night. Mm. So, um, you know, you could have a 2.30 tea time if you needed to in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, sorry. you. No, 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 no. No, no. I, no I'd made my point that, you know, there are... There's more, there's, than, there's more than one reason to have smaller fields. Yeah, there's things that they could do, um, you know, but I just think that they should be looking out for the tour, making sure that the tour is the best that it can be. And I will add that if you are currently, whoever's listening, 100th on the Australian Order of Merit, you know, that, that doesn't define you as a player. That's just oh, where you're at right now. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with, because, and this is the other side of it, saying that you're going to give the top 40 exemptions into the European tour events that come down um, is a problem for the guy who's 41st, but not for the guy who's 40th. So you get everyone who's 41 through 60 complaining about it, but the only reason that they're complaining about it is because it affects them negatively. So it's not actually a problem. It's just a problem for them right now. So it's it's <laughs> not it's not actually anything wrong with the tournament. It's just the way that it rep- that it affects them is the problem. And do you ultimately think it makes them either go away and get better or just go away? Well, those are the two choices that you have in a game, you know, because you either make it or you don't. So there's, you know, there's, those are your choices. So that I don't think there's anything wrong with having that choice be consistent all the way through. Um, you know, if you're a hundredth on the order of merit, then you there's no reason why you can't be fortieth on the order of merit next year. So then you can get to the events next year. You know, that's not a bad thing. That's just how tours work. You know, it's it's uh, sometimes it gets out of control. Like Asian tours are a bit out of control at the moment with the guys that finish top ten on the at Q School don't even get into any of the co-sanctioned events or anything decent. They have to wait six months to actually play in a tournament. But that's where that's where it gets. Uh, that's like a runaway scenario. Mm. But there's no reason why um, the the tour down here. There's not enough players. It's not, it's not as big as the Asian tour. So there's no reason why they couldn't couldn't do something like that. Give a little to get a little. With everything that's in front of you between now and you're getting your European Tour card at the end of next year, how are you playing right now? What's your I'm playing great. Yeah. I was telling someone the other day, I'm at the point in my life where um, I feel like I'm the best player I've ever been. Mm. understand the game better than I ever have. understand myself better than I ever have. and uh, But I've got some of the worst status I've ever had. <laughs> so um, that's happened to me a couple of times before, namely right before I finished fourth at the Aussie Open in 2013 and kind of catapulted myself into a next-level kind of, of career um, and so that kind of dispersion between how you feel your game is and uh, where you are 
is a natural thing for golfers, and yeah. it, and it usually is the greatest. At the dispersion is the greatest right before something really great happens. So, yeah. and I think um, Jake McLeod can vouch for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that we see happening, guys. You know, you put in the work behind the scenes, and then and then the media reports on it. So it's and that's and that's kind that's of that's right. Yeah, something yeah. that I've touched on before. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's part of the reason why I've been part of the show and for it's, a year. We're, and, we're lucky. We're lucky. And, no, it's true, but we're lucky. Well, to because have, it, you know, it, is, it, it is important um, to see what goes on behind it all mm. uh, to an extent. What goes on for me doesn't go on for everyone. It's mm. it's kind of an individual thing, but um, I think that it's uh, it's important to see that. But so for me, that's where I'm at. You know, it's. Uh, I feel like I'm doing really well, doing all the right things, and things are trending in the right direction. So, hopefully, there's something good. Well, mate, we hope there is too. Um, Hazy, before we wrap it up, uh, you've got some general kind of housekeeping duties over there that you need to or you want to include on the show today. It's a lot of little things, Andy. Yeah, go your hardest. I was sitting at home watching the PGA the other day, and a guy who uh, we follow each other on Twitter, Thomas Paul, he goes by. I'm not sure of his proper name, but let's go. Tom Schmitty and his handle, but Thomas Paul. And he texts me, he goes, I've got the story of the year developing here. Hazy, I need you to get on it for me. And he's playing golf at Ride Parramatta on Saturday morning with a young guy called Joseph Albadawi, who's 17 and he's from Oatlands. And I think it's a like a Varden event. Okay. Uh, so they're on the, uh, where are we? The sixth hole at Ride Parramatta, a 380-meter par four. He's in ripping drive 260 up the middle, and he's Candy's second shot from Eagle nice. 2. Um, young Joseph, so congratulations, Joseph. But then he's walked to the seventh tee, 140-metre par 3 up the hill, and bins that one. Back-to-back <laughs> -back Eagles. Uh, and my man, Thomas, was pretty excited about that. He didn't know that it ever happened before. Well, it has. Well, maybe not back-to-back. -back. <laughs> uh, well, it has. <laughs> It has, Thomas, I'm afraid to say. I give you Mark Hayes. I mean, in all seriousness, before no, that's I... That's outstanding. Before before rain on his parade now. Go and rain on the young fellow's parade. Yeah, I've, I've done that, Andy. Go yeah. on. <laughs> I've done that. Tell us when and how. On the 11th hole at Camperdown in the beautiful Western District of Victoria, par five, and I put it on for two and knocked in about a 35-foot putt. No one else around, and I seriously, on the, on the shores of Lake Notuck, there's cows, there's me, and there's no one for 10 kilometres. And on the par four next, short short par four, I knocked a three iron up to around the corner, dog leg up the hill, bumped it up the hill, heard a noise. There's no way that goes in. Walked up and my ball's not there and it's in the hole for a back-to-back back -back eagles. And I yelled and the cows trotted down the hill towards the fence behind the uh, 12th green. And I actually physically ran to the clubhouse, which is about... 1500 meters away at the time and i called my dad because i didn't want the moment to pass so i called my dad and I said, outstanding and then i ran back to the 13th tee and had a double bogey <laughs> well, McPherson, well mcpherson's got you and thomas covered oh not from a personal perspective oh, no i wish it was from a personal yeah. but yeah i remember playing in chile at a web.com event we had three par fives in a row uh number 10 sorry number 18 number one and number two playing with a guy michael arno which there is a very small chance he's listening, but if there is, hey, Michael. Uh, you he's know, a big fan of the podcast. Big fan, big fan of the podcast. Um, friend and, of the uh, pod. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you guys have got a following in Louisiana. <laughs> yes. um, so, yeah, he made, we were both about even par, and he makes an eagle on number 18. Well done. Hit a six iron in. Hits it pretty far. And then number one, par five, makes another eagle. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Then number two, number two, another par five, hits it up by the green, chips it, lips it out, and... 
me and the other playing partner were just like, wow, there's nearly three eagles in a row. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't know if that's really ever happened. No. But uh, it may have happened on that golf course, but um, that's but, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well done to Joseph L. Badawi. Yeah, good on you. Seventeen-year-old from Oatlands, and thanks to Thomas for letting us know the story. Um, it's pretty amazing. To be Absolutely, yeah. we love all that quirky stuff. And a hole in yeah. one. Yeah. What's better I, than that? Yeah. I just I've got another quirky one. Please do. A little while ago, and I apologise for this, but we have been sort of in the silly season. But there's a young girl called Billy Tate who went on to win the uh, under twelve girls title at the Cups course and the Rookie Series at the, at the Dunes recently, and her first shot of the day, Billy aced the 119 metre par three. Um, to yep. get that to get that up and about, so under twelve girls, Happy that's does. phenomenal. Billy that's Tate, great. hope yeah. you're listening, um, and went on to win the, her, her category in that tournament um, back in late October, mid October. So apologies for the delay in that little story. Good on you, Billy. That's we, a good uh, way to start. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. A great, what a great way to start your round. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also at the June, it's always a busy first little tee that too. There's always yeah. groups piling up ready to get they're pretty keen to get on and start playing so I'm tipping there would have been a few people standing on that tee box watching that ball go in <laughs> so I hope yeah. that's the first of many more to come for you Billy uh, at the same beautiful course down there the Dunes medal was run and won um, this week yep and big shout out to someone who's becoming the dominant player in the women's side of the amateur game in Australia is um, Grace Kim who's mm. saluted mm. again and Blake Collier, I think it might be back-to-back Dunes medals for Blake Collier. I'm not sure about that. He's a, a he's been on the podcast before. He has um, a great win to him too in the men's side of things. So good on you down there at the Dunes. Yeah. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show uh, wherever you get your um, uh, podcasts from. Uh, Andrew Priory was the most recent five-star uh, reviewer of the show, <laughs> Hazy. Uh, we've been very... Well, you, I should say. You're the one who generally likes reading these things out because, they, by and large, they reference you in them. But um, So you're sort of, again, patting yourself on the back. But what, this is what somebody says about the podcast, Brian. Wide-ranging and engaging. So I think today's episode, that was the five stars we got from Andrew. I think today's show, Hazy, has been wide-ranging and, and engaging. engaging. Yeah. Also a fan of alliteration, apparently. And Ryan? <laughs> That's right. Big fan. That's big right. fan. Big fan. Indeed. Uh, we're big fans of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sandhurst, yeah. Moonalinks. Yep, absolutely. N- next week? Yeah, so final stage is Wednesday th- through Saturday. Right, right. Yep. Yep. And first stage, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Good week. luck, mate. Thank Thank you. You. Watch out for the guy who's 61st on last year's money list running at you with a three Absolutely, on. yeah. <laughs> Might see him out there at final stage. Take it drawn with him. Yeah. If he doesn't speak to you for the first six holes, just maybe ask him, mate, where are you sitting in there? <laughs> order of merit. The order of merit. <laughs> 61. <laughs> ah, that explains ah. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Just, hey, a, just a quick on. reminder, Andy, yep. about, you know, as you said earlier, this is our second last show. Second last show. So we'll come back with um, a big season finale next week. Hopefully everyone who's been involved will get involved again. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Inside the Ropes. Uh, as Hazy said, back to do it one more time next week.